Good morning, church. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Those are the lines that we hear. And as our liturgist this morning read the story, everybody that comes into contact on that Easter morning is sort of doing one thing and either interrupted or surprised, caught by surprise by the risen Lord, either by grief or they weren't expecting it, or behind locked doors, or I'm not going to believe it if I didn't see it. Have you have you ever been caught by surprise? You were expecting one thing and sort of head up in a locked position, and something else occurred, something surprising, something deeply surprising. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the seals that we put upon our lives with disbelief or grief or or uh, um, previously held understandings, and and we sort of cling to those. We talk about um, confirmation bias in our lives that everything we see sort of agrees with what we're doing, and here we are. Easter morning, the tomb, the stone has been rolled away, and everybody is caught by surprise, even though Jesus said it. Now, the thing is, is that lots of times we as uh, people that go to church think that Easter was that morning, or, or that Easter moment was that morning so long ago, and that's correct, but it's also a Kairos moment, not just a chronological moment, but a God's timing moment. And there are Easter moments throughout our lives that I wanted to talk to. And since I've talked about several of seeing into the tomb and seeing angels and meeting in the garden and the, and the upper room where Jesus came to be amongst them and then on the seashore, I wanted to talk about one that Paul says is him becoming an apostle out of time or out of the pro proper sequence of what the normal apostles were. And so here we are. This morning, I'm going to be reading another Easter moment. This is Saul becoming Paul from Acts 9, 1 through 19. Listen in. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Okay, so Paul is a Judaizer. We, we think of Judaizers now more in our own thought as an evangelizer, but uh, they, they weren't trying to create new Jews. Judaizers were trying to make sure that people that said they were Jews held the right beliefs and and it was and it was sort of in their thought process that because um, Jews were not being obedient to the faith along the lines and that they all needed to be more obedient that it was keeping Messiah at bay and that everything that was going on in their world that that was sort of contrary to what their story told them should happen was because they had been disobedient and of course there is some room for that, that, that the land had gone away from them because they were disobedient 
to Babylon and all those things that God's correcting voice did this. But this isn't unique in the ancient world. In the ancient world, Paul, later on in his career, is stoned in Ephesus for great as Diana of the Ephesians. And what's going on is, is that as he preaches another God, the people of Ephesus begin to think that if they aren't um, obedient and pious to Diana, then A, they'll lose jobs in the silversmiths and the idol-making work, but then droughts come and happen like that in those towns, and the people that don't believe correctly are often held or called to account on that. So this is what Saul is doing. He is, and I want to make sure that you hear this, he is just eager to follow the Lord and do what is right in his eyes, just like everybody we've ever met, doing what is right in their eyes that they think is following the Lord. This is what he's doing, trying to take both men and women who follow Jesus or are or, or, uh, paying attention to the way back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked up, picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. And so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, three days, eyes blind, all this thing, this sort of sounds like an Easter moment. He was blind for three days. Now, as we do this, there was a believer there in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, saying, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, where you, when you get there, ask for the man of, from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, Ananias exclaimed, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. That sounds really familiar to the Peter text from last week, doesn't it? That that or two weeks ago, as we start talking about Peter, do you love me? Then do this. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Um, and I tell you the truth that when you were young, you did pretty much what you wanted, but later on, you'll be led in a way you don't want to go. Anyway, Saul, same sort of story. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. After three days, the scales fall off Paul's eyes. Is this not an Easter moment? After three days in the tomb, the stone is rolled away. He's given eyes to see, ears to see. He's completely caught off guard. But why is he so caught off guard? I mean, Shekinah glory appears to him, and this is one of the things in Jewish belief. So let me talk about kind of what was going on in Judaism. Because of their disbelief or their disobedience, the central symbols of their world were disappearing. And as that sort of thing happens, people both lose their way, but they also take the meaning of those central symbols and fold them in to other things. In the same way that that we see the pledge and the furor around the pledge going on in our country, it's because the the flag has begun to mean less things. We're not really Americans. We're from other things. There's all these qualifiers on what it means to be American. It also explains Ancestry.com, right? Where are you from? Oh, I'm from these people. You, you know, it takes my stuff takes me back to England and Scotland and Ireland and all that, but I'm not from there. My people originally came from there, but as I've said to Mary Ellen and some others from West Virginia, they moved to West Virginia so long ago that really we're from West Virginia. Or I grew up in the Tri Cities. But but you can see how how as our roots and where we believe and as internationalism comes into our world and changes it, partisanship. I'm I'm no longer there's no longer a call to statesmanship about what's good for the country. But this is what I believe the country needs to do. And as those things sort of erode one way or the other, they they get poured into other areas and things like that. So. Paul, that same thing's going on in their world, right where they were. So, so let's explain this. Well, Shekinah glory had come and and been in the temple from when the Lord and with the tent and it led them in the wilderness. But at some point, the Shekinah glory disappeared and wasn't seen anymore. And so they 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 would talk about it as a symbol, but as the generations and the generations sort of sort of past, they stopped talking about Shekinah glory so much, but but folded that into the other central symbols. The meaning of God's presence then came to be that the land that God had given them, rather than God's presence was in the land, now the land was a symbol of God's presence. And and the the kingship of David had been part of that too. And the priesthood, the land, the temple, and Torah, all central symbols of the call of Israel. But the kingship of the line of David had disappeared um, a number of years ago and had not returned to kingship. And so they didn't have their central king leadership 
up there. And so as they did that, they they folded the meaning of what it meant to be unified by by King David down, you know, first off, after his sons blew it or grandsons blew it, it split off and they followed and sort of fell away. But the meaning sort of got folded both into Torah, the land and the temple and the priesthood. Okay, so, but then the land was taken away and the temple was destroyed. And so you end up with the priesthood and Torah carrying all these meanings. But the priesthood, you know, the temple was rebuilt, but it was rebuilt, wasn't rebuilt by a Jew, it was rebuilt by Herod. And so that wasn't really, um, it wasn't a pure thought sort of process on the temple. And then the land, while they went back to the land, they couldn't hold the land. They were always a vassal state. And so the land given to them was where they were, but it wasn't. Do you see how the central symbols didn't hold all the promises that they thought they should? And so you're still with the priesthood and Torah, but... But with the coming of the Romans in, then um, the priesthood had to be purchased every year. The, the, and, and so the priesthood is sort of um, under, has a sort of an undercurrent around it that it's not quite right. The temple is not quite right. But Torah, Torah is all that's it. The land is ruled by the Romans. The 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 temple, it wasn't built by us. It was cleansed, but it was really Herod's temple. And and there had been some other problems with it. The priesthood is really the Romans running that, and it doesn't run right. And so what you have is Torah, but Shekinah glory, that's the thing that meets Paul on the road. So when you're at this spot and, and you see the symbol... You see this great symbol of your understanding and your country and it meets you on the road and a voice comes out of it and it knocks you off your feet. Now, now recognize that Saul is seeing a vision and the Lord is, is, is um, interacting with him, but his, his people hear the voice, but they don't see anything. And so there's eyes to see, there's ears to hear, there's the whole thing going on, but but if you're Paul, he's doing, he's trying to do what Torah says to do. And out of the Shekinah glory, the return of this great symbol of him, of his country and meaning, he said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I, I'm not persecuting you, Lord. I'm doing what Torah says. I am Jesus. Do you see how if all the meaning of your world is down into this, and it's not Torah that's in Shekinah glory, but it's Jesus, and you're fighting against him, can you imagine the Easter moment that's going on in this thing? The death of Paul's belief structure has to happen, and he's going to spend three days in the grave with scales over his eyes, dead to the world, right? praying to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for killing your people. Forgive me for doing what I thought was right. Forgive me for following my own lead and not listening to you and not hearing your word work within my life. All these things start to go on. 
as we do this life. We all have these sort of Easter moments in our world. Saul's the chosen instrument. You're a chosen instrument. But, but you might say, but I didn't see Shekinah glory, right? You got the presence of the Lord. Maybe you didn't get the halo and the, and the backlighting and all that stuff, but the presence of the Lord is planted within you. It's no longer outside, but Shekinah glory has been changed into the spirit of the Lord is upon you and all those things. And so, and the kingship is restored. The kingship of David and Jesus is restored and he's the priest and and all this stuff is started flowing back into the meaning of all these things. How have you understood your life of faith? Can you put yourself in, in with all the disciples and Paul who are all going in a, a specific direction, expecting one thing, and a risen Lord, an Easter moment, happens into your life and everything must change. Everything must change. You need to die to this world so that you can live again with Christ. That's what our baptism is about and all these things, these symbols of our world. How have we reacted, or better put, have we reacted enough to our individual Easter moment where God called us to new life. So have, have you visualized the rolling of the stone away from the tomb that was your life that you can be free and live again? Have you taken the moment to recognize that Easter wasn't just a Sunday 2,000 years ago, but it is the moment where the stone rolls away from your heart and your life and you get to exit from the death that was um, coming and, and given to you as as the wages for your behavior, just as Saul thought he was doing the right thing, we all thought we were doing the right thing, but Jesus erupts into our world with all the meaning and all the life and all of that. Lord, may the scales come off our eyes, roll the stone away. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning, we specifically kneel, as it were, on the road to wherever we're heading and ask you to call us again, to make your call known to us, to enliven us again, to, to free us, as you said you would, into this new life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.